Hello, welcome back to OP's OP, the podcast where we go through the One Piece manga front to back. I, as always, am Jacob, the super rookie of One Piece, joined by my co-host here, the super veteran, Justin. Hello, what's going on, guys? Today we are really excited to get into Eni's Lobby, which starts at chapter 375, and we're going not all the way through, we're going up to about chapter 398, so if you have not read up to that point... Highly recommend you do so before listening to this, because we're about to be spoiling at least up to there and probably more. So you might just want to read the whole arc, which goes, I believe, to 430. Uh, 430, I believe, yeah. Because you never know when something will slip in, because I think it's <laughs> fair to say, uh, based on all the pictures and texts I was receiving from our friend here. I might have liked it a little bit. The arc was well received. <laughs> yeah, so in the, before each recording, we always have a little pre-chat to help us remember all the events that happened before we actually go on air. I held back on a little bit. Justin, this is my favorite arc in One Piece right now, okay? Like, oh, I, I didn't, te- I didn't no, tell you that. You did not that. tell me that. That's the first time I've heard I did it. not tell you that, no. That's this big. That's a big, yeah, that's a big it statement. It surpassed everything, because... At the end of last episode, you remember, I was hoping for an Arlong Park 2.0, maybe even Alabasta 2.0. I, and that's unfair expectations. I literally got both of that and more. Welcome so, to Amy's Lobby. Yeah, welcome to Amy's Lobby. Welcome to One Piece again. So despite that, though, I want to focus on the, 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 the juicy bits of the arc. And this first half that we're doing, we know that part. So we'll cover like some key, some little details that we noticed along the way where it's during the siege of Eni's lobby, right? Right, the siege segment, like that first. Mm. That's pretty much the whole first thirty chapter stretch, or like twenty five chapter stretch. It feels yeah, like the first uh, like fifteen twenty chapters ish, where each of the straw hats split up a little bit, like Luffy slingshots ahead, and the Galila and uh, Frankie's family are like the pawns on the ground. Along with the bulls, Yakuzuna's there too, the the big frog. Um, they each do their own thing, fighting through like mini bosses and little grunts. It's fun to read and look at, but obviously this is an audio podcast. We can't really describe in detail where it's like, this part was super cool. But like little notes that we picked up on. The introduction that I liked was the introduction of Sniper King to the Straw Hats. Because obviously all the Straw Hats, the smart ones, are just going, it's just Usopp in a mask. But of course, yeah. Luffy and Chopper innocent as they are go who are you great stranger i am the sniper <laughs> king where did you hail from sniper island where's that within your hearts <gasps> oh and they've got like <laughs> yeah they're just love like he's like a superhero because he's wearing a cape oh my god uh, <laughs> it was very funny it was a great introduction to the quote-unquote sniper king but yeah honestly like yeah like what we said like the first 15 chapters are it's a big siege where we get a little callback as well to Little Garden, probably my least liked arc of the series, but we get a callback to the giants that were fighting uh, endlessly on that island as we witness right. more giants right. serving as gatekeepers. And Usopp actually remembers his stories with the giants and goes, wait, 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 wait. You're talking about those two guys back on that island? I know those guys. They're alive. Because we learned that the gatekeepers were being manipulated by the government to, uh, hey, if you're helping us defend Inu's lobby will quote-unquote look for your giant friends or it will take care of them or something like that i think they were saying they had them imprisoned right something like that honestly i kind of glossed over the details a little bit i just know that it was really great that Usopp was able to connect the two together and was able to 
convince uh, Keishi and Oimo, or Kashi and Oimo, the gatekeepers, to side with the, the, the besiegers. So that was a really nice little, you know, use of charisma, if you would, rather than brute force. So I thought that was a little nice little detail. Yeah. But uh, there's something else that was introduced here, which was we get the whole CP9 gang. Uh, we'll go much more into detail in the next part, to be honest, because we get like a little introduction of who they are here, but we don't see them in action until the next part. But except for, I think, one we can talk about right now, right? The Fukuro, the guy who's like a the like the big, huge dude with a zipper on his mouth. We thought yeah. that was a really good design. Both of us. I like that design, <laughs> yes. Where it was like, well, yeah, we're working for a top intelligence agency. But this guy just won't shut the hell up. <laughs> so we put a zipper on this guy and he constantly unzips to talk. And even then he still says way too much. Um, there's also a little bit where I'm on the fence about this because this is just a trope. I'm just not a fan of. But if done right, it's OK. Where it's the enemies get power levels like we get the strengths, like actual um, measurements. Right. Usually like I'm numbers. not a fan of this. Yeah. Usually I'm not a fan of this, but because it's the bad guys doing this. I'm just like, this is how arrogant they are. This is how like, Oh, because we are this strong. We have no problem thing with the, the, the enemy over there because dragon ball Z did this too, to a pretty good degree with Frieza and his gang where it's like, Oh, your power level is only this. My power level is this. Therefore, you know, I will beat you and they're makes them super arrogant. So again, it could work if the tropes done well, but hopefully we don't see too much of this. I really like the bounty system more than just simply punch the blabber mouth over here. And he'll tell you how strong you are. <laughs> Um, there was the nice bit though where he talked about Spandom, the guy who was in charge of CP9, like having a, a low power level of only nine, and it makes you wonder, like, so how's this guy in charge? And you're like, right, government bureaucracy, it, the son of the previous guy, got it, <laughs> right? Makes Cause, sense. Because boy, Spandom is fucking pathetic, dude. Oh my fucking god, dude. I can't think of the right terms the right words to describe how much I fucking hate this guy. Not from like a horrible written <laughs> character perspective, but more like this guy is Joffrey in anime form, dude. He's a spoiled so, okay. little brat. I'll just say, we'll say it here, right here and now then. I'll ask the question that you uh-huh. probably already know what I'm going to ask. Yes, is the answer fandom... is yes, without a yeah. doubt. <laughs> <laughs> the answer is yes, okay. without a doubt. Throwing his dad at the number two spot. Just number two, his dad. Yeah. Number one, fandom. <laughs> Biggest Damn. fucking cunt in One Piece right now. Yeah. Just, he's, he's a huge like, bitch. I had that feeling from that last arc of like, okay, this guy looks like he's like a manipulator kind of guy, but he also just seems like he's like, he thinks he's hot shit, but the reality is he's just in the right place. Right. Because whenever anything threatens him, he freaks the fuck out and panics. And then immediately yeah. resorts to, oh, right, but I have Luchi here to protect me. Oh, wait, you're in handcuffs, so I shouldn't be threatened. And he always assumes that, you know, the Straw Hats aren't strong or the Galila or Frankie's family, the Seizures, right? That they're not strong. Like, more than a couple of times, he'll, like, try and mock Frankie and Robin, the captors here, that, oh, I'm sure by now they're going to tell me on this phone call here that all your friends are suffering and captured and dying, right? Mm-hmm. So he's constantly doing this shit. But the worst part, too, is that he has no problem, like, hitting unarmed prisoners, like, there'll be a time when Robin, like, actually talks back for a brief second, and he just smacks the living shit out of her. Like, just a sock straight to the face. And you're like, man, there was that one moment where Frankie was trying to bite his head off, even though he was handcuffed. I was like, God, Frankie, just a little quicker, please. Just a little faster, <laughs> please. 
but yeah just everything about spandom is just joffrey but one piece version for those who don't know joffrey i'm talking about the the incest king from game of thrones the fictional character little piece of shit that little runt is yeah this he's he is very infamous at this point yeah similar vibes but um we'll also go more to this like next part as well it's we learn that luffy has a new form system a transformation sequence where it's the gears the gear mode it kind of comes out of nowhere to be honest but i am interested in where it goes because it's not like it's a super saiyan no flaw type of thing it's more like kaioken yeah. if we're continuing the allegory because he can turn into second gear or how do you say it gear second, second yeah gear? It, i mean i think it is it's kind of the same thing i just know that it's usually written and and in the japanese dub he says gear second mm. so but either way the important thing is that he has these new power-up sequences that work like kaioken where the longer he's in these modes the more damage it does to him so he can't stay in them for very long. And if he goes into a higher gear, it's a higher outburst of power for a shorter period of time. So on one hand, I'm going, this is introduced kind of out of nowhere, but it is to address the issue where last arc CP9 was showcased to be really, really fucking strong, including the guy he fights first in this part, Bluno, with his door door fruit. So mm-hmm. it's like, okay, so how does he counter iron body and maneuverability? It's he powers himself up, but we see that when he does that, it's hilariously if he's in. Wait, is it in this part? Oh, shoot. I don't know if it's not. There's repercussions. I'll just say that there's repercussions where if he's in the forms for too long, but it gives him a power boost, just enough time to defeat Bluno, the first of the CP9 agents from. Right. Last arc, he does. He does show, I think, right after this, uh, this fight with Bluno, that he's a little woozy and he mentions that it like, he's like, man, I can't do that for very long. Okay, yeah, thank you. Because I was thinking of the other form. I think I'm thinking of Gear 3, that repercussion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, third. basically it tires him out. Again, like Kaioken. That's where my comparison's coming from. Where does, where, what came first, Kaioken or Gear 2, Gear 3? Definitely Kaioken. Kaioken, yeah. Okay, yeah, sorry. I'm thinking of my own viewing of Dragon Ball Z where, compared to when it actually came out. Um, but either way, it's similar-esque. But In I, fact, I, I could, you can almost definitively say that yeah second yeah. is kind of a reference to kaioken but yeah uh but luckily for me at least kaioken is the much more entertaining and better transformation than super saiyan in from my personal perspective but we're not talking about that <laughs> we're talking about just Ooh, I, now you're, I like now you're making with... big statements today aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> listen i like it when if shonen characters have power-ups but they have flaws to them i don't like it when it's just oh now i'm stronger what's the flaw i don't know you do you just like blonde hair Mm-hmm. <laughs> what's I like it when there's actual flaws. Or, so I was going to say, what's interesting about Gear Second to me is that it almost makes sense, right? There's like, obviously, there's some, I've heard it called, uh, I think, like, generous m- anime manga logic applied. Mm-hmm. But it seems like the idea which Gear Second operates on, based on what Bluno said, right, is that uh, he's increasing his blood flow basically mm-hmm. which constructing his vessels to make yeah. everything work and think faster i yeah, just, just wish there was a little pump your call body out into before this. yeah i just wish there was a little call out before we actually saw this like it was cool that it happened when you know because obviously it's the shonen thing of like oh, the main character gets a power up right and mm-hmm. granted it takes this long for the trope to kick in with luffy but 
I do wish at some point there was an idea passed across, like maybe from Chopper, right? Where it's like, oh, if you do this with your blood foe, Luffy, you can actually move faster, but it's really dangerous. And maybe Luffy, of course, goes, so I can get stronger. And then Chopper would go like, no, what the hell are you talking about? But we didn't get any of that. So either way, mm-hmm. all of that side. Again, reaffirming this is still my favorite arc in One Piece. Yeah, I love it so much, I can criticize it. So yeah, then we get I, to... I just... I've always felt the, like the action in One Piece is good and mm-hmm. entertaining, but it's it's never like the main draw, you know. Usually not. Usually, the best part about the fights are is usually the first punch Luffy lands or the final punch, if there is that one, because it's just so satisfying. Or maybe like a couple of panels with Zoro, because he always looks cool with the bandana on. But at the end of the day, uh, at least for me personally, when I'm reading. I like the character moments and the world building moments more than the fights, but the fights aren't bad. I'm not just skimming through it going, Oh, just get over with. Oh my God. It's more like, okay. Cool. Yeah. Okay, cool. Okay. Cool. And <laughs> Oda does, as we mentioned, he has a really great job of giving us a lot of the flow and character moments in the fights, like throughout the exactly. combat and like little things like that. So they're always fun to read through. And I really love those moments, but overall mm. that's not the primary reason. Like I'm watching one piece. So when Luffy just turns red, starts smoking, and wins a fight, I'm like, cool. Cool. <laughs> you know? <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what yeah. it is at the end of the day for me. That's my perspective. Yeah. I just wanted to comment on this particular thing of, like, I had a little gripe with it. It's not going to ruin the character or the fight sequences for me at this point. Instead, if anything, it goes, okay, now we have a new element to bring into the fight of, like, intrigue of, like, okay, now we have a new danger to present itself. But we'll see as, it, as we go along. Hopefully Oda uh, doesn't abuse it too much to the point where it's nonsensical or non-punishable um but at this point the straw hats are reunited right they split up during the siege but they reunite onto basically uh, i'll say shout out to sodom and gomorrah specifically i believe gomorrah who like almost got blinded or did get blinded actually right in the pursuit of getting the straw hats to the gate i think so yeah um again big big shout out frankie family's yagra bull or mm-hmm. King Bull, maybe, was the classification. Yeah, there was definitely a moment where each of the bulls, each of the giants, had, like, a little sacrifice moment to push the the pawns, if you would, if you were making a chess allegory. Like, the, the pawns one step further, right? Where, like, this bull took a big hit, this bull takes a big hit, this giant takes a big hit. Yakuza well, I this. mean, you get the reference, right? Of course, their names, the two, mm. their two biblical cities that got destroyed, right? Oh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Remind me, remind me, Gomorrah and... Sodom. Sodom and oh god i'm an idiot yeah. <laughs> this is my job when i miss that god damn it <laughs> bruh <laughs> no, i'm just kidding bruh <laughs> bruh bruh all right all right all right okay so sorry i i'm impatient because i want to get to the main yeah course. but uh, i agree with you the first little stretch is it's fine like we said action siege bam done Ooh, Absolutely. giants cool now i'm sure the, the real i'm sure the anime stuff. is really fun yeah um the manga was definitely fun too it definitely kept me going for sure i was getting impatient as i was waiting for what we're gonna get to but it was still fun for it was because like i said it felt like a, a besiege going on it wasn't just like little individual battles luffy's the first to get to the how would you say it like the castle top because Eni's lobby is like almost like a floating island connecting mm-hmm. to the do- the two doors right yeah any prisoner that goes beyond the two doors they're going to the underwater prison. They're gone at that point. And they're waiting for those doors to open the CP9 guys and the captives. Meanwhile, there's a drawbridge that they're waiting for 
Frankie's family and Galila to hit while the Straw Hats are, you know, trying to get to the top, trying to talk to Robin, shout to her. And at this point, Luke is the first to get there. And, you know, we're like, we're here to rescue you. And we again see Robin's stubbornness like come to light where she just says again that we first time since she joined the crew, I just want to die. Leave me alone. And you get that moment on Luffy's face where it's like, what is the deal? What is going on here? And again, we get like this first domino effect of like all these character pieces set in the place where it's more open, where she doesn't want the buster call because she knows exactly what that is. Not just a definition, but through experience. Like, I don't want you guys to be affected by this. Like, the guy that, this Joffrey motherfucker here, he will do it. Because he's just too stupid to understand that everyone's going to be caught in the crossfire. He will do it just to get to you guys. I don't. It doesn't matter where you are. Just please let me die. Leave me alone. But, of course, Luffy's main issue is, why do you want to die? What's the issue? Like, what? why do you keep doing this thing? You said it the first time, right? Like, you refuse to let me to die, and so your crime is to take me with you. What is this deal? So, gosh, it is just so heavy <laughs> because, God, like it does. Oda does not hold back with this backstory whatsoever. Where the Straw Hats all get there, and then Luffy demands one more time. Like I, Luffy demands her to say it again, but to the whole crew, not just to him. Like if you if you're gonna say that to your captain, and you really think that, say it to your entire family. Right? We got Zoro, Sanji. Nami, Chopper, Sniper King, we're all here. Say it to us as a family, right? As your friends. Don't say it to just me as your captain. Say it again. But instead of saying it again, she explains in detail of why she fears the Buster Call. And then we start possibly the most heartbreaking, gut-wrenching flashback we've gotten so far in One Piece. Let me, let me just appreciate that moment right before when they're all standing on the... Mm-hmm. I guess the little tower, like spikes, kind of. Mm-hmm. That is such a great panel with the whole team. Obviously, you know, Robin's not there, but all the straw hats, except for Usopp, yeah, of course. Up. Looking mm-hmm. up, it was, including Soga King, minus Usopp mm-hmm. plus Soga King. Man, <laughs> Shame. I love that panel. The, 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 the double like spread for that is just looks It great. is really good. I could definitely see that as like something that someone would frame and have as, like, a, as a poster colored in. Oh, or yeah. Something, it's or it's very in. iconic. Mm-hmm. One of the most iconic scenes, I'm pretty sure, I would say. Mm-hmm. It's like up there with the the end of Alabasta, you know, the exit on the arm moment. Yeah, definitely. Everyone, like, especially like Chopper, like crossing their arms, like just they're waiting for the, the moment to strike. They're waiting for the opportunity to go and take action, but they both need permission and the physical access. So they're waiting impatiently or patiently, but, you know, the hearts are pumping. But yeah, we get to the start of finally... What happened 20 years ago that made Robin one of the most wanted criminals in the world government to the world government? Sorry. And right away, it does not hold back at all with how fucked up her past is, where the first thing we see is she's trying to read a book and kids are throwing rocks at her, calling her a monster, calling her a demon. Because we learned at a very early age, she's had this power, the the flower, flower fruit. Um. She's had this at a very early age. So no kids want to actually play with her. They always try and bully her. And whenever she acts back to defend herself, the parents get involved and go, wow, you are such a mean bully, you little Robin, you little freak. How dare you act like this to my my poor, innocent kids? 
So immediately they're just like, oh, of course, this the lack of perspective, of course. And then we see her return, quote unquote, home to her aunt, where they just leave a note saying, we're going to celebrate um, my daughter's birthday. So, Robin, you can eat some bread and jelly, but don't eat too much. Then I want you to do all of these Cinderella chores, clean the house, do the dishes, do all this bullshit, and then go to bed early so we don't have to see you when we come home. And we get like these gut wrenching panels of Robin on one end cleaning the dishes, on the other end she's crying as she's cleaning the floorboards, and it's just like, you know, I feel really bad looking back at my last episode when I said, or two episodes ago when I said Robin had that darkness line, where I'm like, man, she acts like a hot topic person. I'm just like, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> And this is like the first part too, like two pages in, three pages in. It's just like yeah. watching the Cinderella story unfold, or at least you know the, the the original form of it. But it explains so much why she's cold because she's been dealing with these hard labor, like chores her entire life, and little food, no care at all. And you also learn because she doesn't. I think it's the next day or the night. She goes towards the the library of Alhara, this giant ancient looking tree. Looks amazing, by the way. Um, oh yeah, it's her it's her place of comfort, basically how I saw it. When she first gets there, everyone goes surprise. You passed your test. Congratulations. You're the youngest to ever get their yes, guess basically like their doctorates, I guess, in archaeology yeah. at eight years old. You're a prodigy. It's amazing. What are you gonna do? And immediately, you know, because, you know, she's feeling good right now. She's with people that are happy with her. I want to study the 100-year void. And immediately they go, no, you can't. You can't do that. You literally cannot do that. But she goes, but I've been watching you guys do it. Why can't I do it? I want to be with you guys. I want to be with people I can relate to. And they push her away out of fear for her, you know, out of her safety. But as we've seen, she needs company. She just needs contact, someone, anyone to care for her. But even the archaeologists are pushing her away for a different reason this time. It's not because of disgust, but because of, you know, for fear for her safety. And out of a, a wish for the mother as well, which we learned later on, Olvia. Um, historical reference that I made is that these archaeologists and this tree of knowledge, it's basically the great library of um, Alexandria in real life, where it's like this ancient library back in the ancient days of the Roman Empire. That had all these ancient texts, right? All these past histories. But throughout time, it just had uh, issues with funding, uh, wars that went on to burn documents. So right away, I made the allegory. And I'm just like, oh, no, this thing is not going to last. Because I'm thinking back on it, too, where Buster Call, Demons of Alhara, this is not going to end well. That's why how I made the comparisons right away. Right. But, gosh. So it's like, and then, yeah, she wanted to research the, the poneglyph. She realizes that the researchers here are doing the taboo themselves, but she wants to research the poneglyph to be with her mother because we learned that the mother left to get more research, more data so they can translate the poneglyph more clearly or even to find more pieces of the puzzle. So that's why Robin's interest in archaeology expanded because, you know, to be closer with her mother. Again, any type of contact, any type of love, um, but the archaeologists push her away. So then we meet this giant washed up on the so on the shore named Saul, Jaguar D. Saul, 
Yes. And again, we get the D. And immediately, I made the connection. This is why Robin was interested in Luffy's name. Not be- not particularly because of uh, Goldie Roger, although that would be part of it. But also, it's like, oh, because she knew someone who said, oh, people in my family have the middle initial D for some reason. I don't know why. So it goes back to this callback. Yeah. Like, okay, it it really does, questions. like... It recontextualizes her whole thoughts and interactions with the Straw Hats, like when she first met them. You know what I mean? Exactly, yeah. Instead of just simply me making the joke of like, oh, she's, she's interested in the D, her, her. It's more like, no, exactly. She, she <laughs> yeah. knows someone who had that middle initial in the past that also connected with Goldie Roger and now Monkey D. Luffy. So now for it's like, oh, so that could be a relation subtype. So, of course, now I'm thinking, too. I'm like, family? But... What's the definition of family in this there, case? Is it what we're talking about? Is it crew? Is it blood related? I would say, yeah, when you think about that, like, uh, she clearly saw something of Saul in Luffy. Mm-hmm. And yeah. some of the, like, the virtues that he imparts to young Robin are very embodied by Luffy, right? Uh, I, I would say. On that exactly? Um, like, Jaguar, or Jaguar D. Saul, he tells her, like... To always remain smiling, even in the worst situations, or something right. to that effect. Oh, it, I got big. Uh, this is not from the same series, but I got big My Hero Academia flashbacks going back to Nana when she was talking about All Might in those flashbacks. Oh, yeah. Where yeah, it's yeah. always about smiling, it's always about laughing, right? So in this case, Saul is, yeah, always referring to Robin because she was like wondering, like, why do you laugh like that? And he goes, well, whenever you're in pain, it always helps to laugh because, you know, laughing it always helps bring up the mood a little bit. So, because she was wondering, like, why do you laugh like Dedishi, Dedishi? I, I, I it's what the manga said exactly. It was like Dedishi. It was very weird. I, I, I couldn't imagine what that sounded like. But either way, it got noticed. But yeah, it's always to try and look at any positivity in the worst of times. And so now you're thinking, oh, Robin finally met probably a friend because he's not scared of her powers. Where he's like, I've seen worse shit on the Grand Line. This is nothing. This is pain. And, you know, and they're actually chatting. They're fine. So they're bonding a little bit. And I think it's the first time we see Robin actually laugh. So that was actually a big emotional detail there. Because I don't even think in, yeah. the, in the modern sense of One Piece, we've seen Robin laugh. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. A little, yeah, and the entire like present storyline that she's been around the whole time, I don't think she has seriously like smile laughed. Yeah, or, or, really smiled. or legit smile that felt genuine because it's always yeah. like hiding something or a cover. We, we it's mentioned always that before. Smirk, always, you know, yeah, it's always a smirk, yeah. but we always we brought it up before. Where it's like it always felt a little distant. It always felt not genuine. It felt like it was just you know a, a neutral face to try and cover up what she was actually thinking. And but so yeah, in this flashback, it just stands out a lot more where she's actually laughing and chatting with Saul. Um. Then we get introduced to uh, cunt number two, uh, Spandine, who is Spandine's dad. And we learned that, of course, the government is looking for people who are researching the Poneglyph because it's against the law. It's it's a law they formed, so therefore it is punishable by death. It's treason. And he managed to try and track down Olvia's ship. Um, Olvia being the mother of Robin, if I haven't said that already. And... Olvia retreats back to Ohara and tries to warn um, the scholars here that you guys need to flee. You guys need to leave. The government's on its way. They're not going to do an inspection 
They're here. They're looking for people to kill or to capture. They're not here to do a random scan, right? They're bringing the big guns. So real quick, I want to bring up the design for Professor Clover <laughs> where he had like the hair sticking up from the top and he had like the beards going to the, the sideburns going left and right and then the beard going straight down. And it's like, it's, it's good. It's good. <laughs> it's, although he's definitely not lucky because if he had four beards, he might have been, but he only had three. But mm-hmm. um, Olvia's entire team is murdered except for Olvia. She makes it back and tries to warn everyone, you guys need to flee or we need to save the data one or the other. And this whole time as well, um, Robin gets word that maybe her mother is back too, right? She gets word that someone might return from that original crew while there's also panic setting in because the government's here and they're bringing in the guns. So there's that horrible, tragic scene of like the crowds like running amongst each other, like in the, in the village. And you see the panel of the mother and Robin just running by each other because it's been so long. I think it's been six years since they last saw each other. So yeah. they miss each other in the crowd and the chaos. And we also get to see a reintroduction to Okiji. He's known as uh, Kuzan at this point right now. Kuzan. I guess mm-hmm. it's his first name, I guess. I'm not sure. But yeah, like, as part of the government uh, forces moving in to try and app- to deal with like the, the scholars doing the taboo. Um, but despite, you know the warnings by the scholars robin finds herself with the scholars again where she just wants to you know be with her mother she wants to be with people she cares about despite all the warnings and pleas from everyone not to be with them you know to get out of here go to the evacuation vessel but it's too little too late where you know the government shows up and confronts everyone it reminds me of how um it just mirrors how Robin in the present day, she's constantly telling the Straw Hats she wants to be left alone. And basically doing, she's accepting the wishes of the people in this flashback are constantly telling her to do, right? Go away, be alone to survive, right? Go and live, right? So Mm -hmm. it's almost like she took that instruction literally, judging from at this point in the flashback, to... Yeah, leave me alone so I can honor the wishes of these people who are telling me to live, right? That's what, this is what I got right at this moment, where I'm like, uh, oh, that's a horrible preconception of, like, oh, to be alive is to survive, right? So, despite her friends and family not wanting that for her, ultimately, that's what she got her at. She was only eight years old at the time. But, yeah, mm-hmm. government rounds everyone up. Uh, Spandine is such an asshole. He is so happy. He even reveals, I think, to Clover it was either the Clover or Olvia that finding the proof that you guys are reaching the Poneglyph is just like, it's just work. It's just confirmation. Mm-hmm. We're going to likely kill you all anyway. Cause I've been really itching to push this. He's like, for the eh, it's, it's really just a formality at this point. Exactly. It's, it's, it's just business. And I'm just it, like the, the villain from Pirates of the Caribbean three. <laughs> it's just business. But this guy, in this case, this guy loves it. He's yucking it up. He's power hungry, just like his son. Fucking asshole. Sorry. These guys just, Oda does a really good job making villains I fucking hate so much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they, such a good job. oh man, they really are infuriating. Both these oh, two. Yeah. Um, we do learn a tiny little detail as the government agents are like, they're ra- they're like roughhousing the library at this point. To the point where they're even lighting up explosives to try and find hidden doorways. And they actually do succeed. They find a doorway to the Bonneglyph. 
we get a little key detail that's important here that I, I feel i feel that it's important later on the poneglyphs are basically indestructible it survived an explosion that was set off by the government agents first off and you see like all the walls and the bookshelves around the poneglyph they're, they're kind of melted or burned away but mm-hmm. the poneglyph itself is untouched so you're immediately thinking okay mystical magical type of stone impervious to damage more the reason why more reason to believe that these poneglyphs would still exist in our modern day yeah uh, sorry in our modern day sorry in the one piece modern day still in good condition more yeah, reason yeah. to look out for them yeah like it seems like it's kind of confirmation that they could have been around for almost any amount of time and they seem to be indestructible mm-hmm. and we do get a very interesting tidbit here on a hypothesis because at this point the scholars are rounded up like they're forced to sit down and they're surrounded by government agents it looks very eerie if you looked at a lot of history textbooks that's not an image you want to look at so but either way clover takes a gamble and demands that uh spandine uh connect him to the the five elders because he knows the orders had to come from the, the the highest brass and at first the the one of the elders talking seems to be like, okay, what's your point? Like, what are you, what are you calling me for? What's your defense? And Clover states what Robin said to Iceberg in that second flashback, where it's, I don't want to, I don't want to look at this history to create these weapons of mass destruction, which is the reason for the, the law. We're doing it to give a voice to the past, humanity, and perspective to those who aren't around anymore. And in Clover's case, he goes on and goes. There is a good chance that in the void, that in this void of history, this immense ancient kingdom was feared that it would be erased and defeated by the new world government, this alliance of nations. So they had these poneglyphs around to blueprints to construct these ancient weapons in defense in the worst case scenario. And so now it's like, okay, so the ancient weapons were meant to be a deterrence. Or the final hope if things got so worse. Yeah. And now that ancient kingdom is no longer around. So now the theory has come to my head for this bit of history where it's like, okay, so maybe an ancient weapon was used and maybe both sides were swallowed up, but the world government is larger, so it survived. Maybe the world government got to this kingdom before anything could be done. Who knows? But before Clover can even say, and mm. the name of this kingdom was, and then you hear the elder just say, kill him. And then uh, Spandine or another agent takes the shot and stops him before he can finish. Yeah, I found that that scene very interesting from a theorizing very. standpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially because it definitely paints the picture even more so. I think I mentioned it like back at Little Garden or the first time we saw like the headquarters, we saw like all the captains in their coats. And I was thinking, like, this is very authoritarian, very, like, very fascist almost. Uh-huh. And then now we're literally looking at fascism at work, where is the government silencing scholars from just stating what happened in history? Yeah. yeah <laughs> and you did mention like, that at God. some point. Oh, God damn, dude. So, and on top of this, so, of course, me as an amateur historian, I'm getting my heart broken already going, like, I'm watching history being erased right before me. On top of this, we return to another heart. This is just a fucking domino effect of heartbreaking scenes. The Robin. Robin looks her mother, who's beaten up and shot because she tried to defend the library but failed, sadly, and goes, is that you, mother? 
and then to, only to hear the mother go, I don't know you. <laughs> I'm just like, Did you ever read that on. book, the Dr. Seuss book, Are You My Mother? Oh, God. This is like a, re- a way worse, really depressing version of that. <laughs> oh, God. The worst part, too, is that instead of Robin just stopping, she pushes and goes, no, mother, I think she's, she's sure it's her mother, even though it's been six years. And it's like, I learned everything so I can be closer to you. I've learned to read the Poneglyphs. And immediately you're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> this is where it came from. Yeah. Where it's this horrible, sad, tragic moment of Robin pleading with this woman who she's pretty damn sure is her mother. And going, actually is, for the record. And actually is, exactly. Yes, for the record. Sorry. And, like, I've learned to read this ancient dying language so I can go on these adventures with you. Please just, like, let, take me with you wherever wherever you go. And as soon as, like, this shit's going down, the buster call is being made. And you're watching scorched earth. You're watching a genocide happen. Mm-hmm. And I didn't expect to see that in One Piece. It's, it's actually it's brutal. It is fucking brutal. At first, it seems like cannons firing on the tree, which we've seen before in movies. Like, if you've seen the movie Avatar from James Cameron, you've seen something kind of similar to this. But it goes further and further by the scholars being so desperate to preserve the knowledge, they kill themselves, throwing the books out the window and into a lake bed. All the findings they have just to preserve any type of knowledge from that tree. And on top of that, later down the line, when Robin is trying to join the evacuation crew. We'll mention this briefly real quick, but I'm just on the note here that even the innocent people who would have been more than happy to kiss the government's ass and be like, no, Robin's here. Arrest her. Oh, we don't like her. Go away. We didn't ever like those people. They get blown up too and burn alive from the buster call. Everyone is dying. It is a clean slate. No one escapes from this. Nobody. So, we could imagine how bad a buster call is, but it's putting a lot of things in perspective much more when Robin says, I don't want you guys to suffer from the buster call because it's not just you guys dying. It's you. It's everyone I know and love being erased from existence. It's not just you dying and I get to go to your tombstone. It's I can't even acknowledge you exist. Otherwise, I suffer the same fate to be erased from history. And it's mm-hmm. just, again, it's yeah, just it's... all these compounding factors, man pretty heavy yeah it's like a very heavy <sighs> message going on and like very mature stuff as you said like it's fascism basically being implemented here in ohara by the world government and the and the part that's hilarious not hilarious but in the dark humor i guess it's not that's not the focus the focus is again robin's upbringing because while everyone is dying as the government agents flee because they realize they're in ground zero of the buster call as the 10 warships by the way this oh yeah we need to explain by the way real quick for reference the buster call is basically the government sends their 10 largest warships all loaded with like all the latest admirals and latest yeah five yeah five vice admirals 10 warships like the newest ammo the like basically like white phosphorus rounds like modern day sense yeah anything that's like Crimes against humanity. Things that wouldn't be approved by the Geneva Convention is what are on these warships, basically. Oh, boy. But I just want to bring that real quick. It's the government forces retreat, and it gives enough time for the mother to finally say, Robin. 
and they get reunited finally. And there's a tragic reunion where they hug and tears are falling. And as soon as it happens, it ends because the bluster call is still going. Saul shows up because he realizes, um, oh, shit, the government was able to find this island because it followed me back or was trying to locate me and not Olvia. It was he called it fate. He called it karma. I think right. I might get the details a little wrong here, but we do learn that Saul freed Olva, Olvia from being a captor. Yeah, because and the government he was, was looking for him. And he, he was a vice admiral. He was one of the vice admirals. Yeah. There was a little tidbit I noticed in the speech where when Robin was saying, like, are you a giant? And then he goes, no, I'm not like one of those savages. I'm just like, oh, God, like a sneering imperialist. Like, oh, God. But then he used that same term when he was a vice admiral and he was witnessing warships like just shoot the research vessel. And he goes, we're not savages. We can't just be doing this shit. But, of course, one of the elders, I believe, just goes or the admiral goes, don't question my orders. And immediately that brings makes him question, you know, the logic of his chin of command where it's like, is it right? to yeah. do this? Is it right to, you know, do the right thing? Hence his desertion. But he and Olvia. That was Sin Goku, right? What was that? That that was the guy, the Marine with the goat. But yes. Younger. Yes. The yes, one that looked like Tojo. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The one that looks like Tosho appropriately now. And so Saul reunites. And then right when the reunion happens, the mother goes, Robin, you need to flee. This is before that we see the ship being burned. I'm sorry. I had to skip ahead for this part, but you need to flee and leave. I need to do this because I am passionate about my dream of ensuring the knowledge isn't erased. We, we cannot let these voices be erased. And Robin, I want you to live. Right. So immediately I can see kind of where this, the theme of going right of isolation versus being free and living. And it goes back again, how I originally perceived how Robin perceived this, which was to survive, right? As long as you're breathing, you're eating, you're alive, then you're doing what your family wanted you to do. Right. This is where I was at at this point. So she saw at surface level. Then we see a, we see that Jaguar D. Saul name come into action as he's running through the island, evading cannons from the Buster Fire, Buster Call, and taking even taking a cannon directly to the face as he's trying to, you know, transport Robin to yeah, anywhere. He, he was beasting. He was beasted it up. He takes a cannon to the face, and you're thinking, oh my God, is he dead? Is it just, you know, at, at this point in the tone, you wouldn't be surprised if he just failed, died right there. But instead, he shows how strong he is by lifting one of the 10 warships completely up and then tossing the motherfucker away mm-hmm. as he's just like, Oh my fucking God, dude. He went <laughs> like, like, he went like a like, Kaiju he, is what he looked like lifting that thing. And just, you know, like literally was tossing like a, a skyscraper, a, a true sea monster. Yeah. <laughs> so while the scholars are protecting the voices of the past, quote unquote, um, we see that, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, the O'Harans, the non-scholars, refuse at first to let Robin board the ship. And even to the point where there's even some people on board going, we can't just leave her behind. She's a girl. But then they get scared because she tries to use her power to extend her arms to go, oh, I can just climb into myself. Don't worry about me. And then, you know, and that's when everyone else goes, oh, my God, it's a monster fleet. Get out of here. Get out of here. Don't let her on. Don't let her on. Right before we yeah. see the ship also take fire and explode and die. So by the people being fearful it actually spared robin in this case but obviously no one's happy about this um and we learned that this order came from a character named admiral akuno 
Aikuno? 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 Aikuno. I want to write that down because he's the monster that gave us order. And he's like, we can't leave any work unfinished. So I'm like, that's the cold guy. I'm going to remember that name. That's the guy I'm going to keep an eye on for future reference. I don't know if we got the name before, other than the time we were told of like, here are the three vice admirals right now or something like that. But this is the first time I think we've seen the guy. And it was in a flashback. So I'll keep an eye on that. So to reiterate, while all this is going on, like Robin's backstory is on the theme of loneliness. The whole life of harsh labor, bad treatment, resentment from everyone, from her own blood family, her aunt, for example, to even the scholars who wanted her to be safe and distant, watching her home burn, watching friends be killed, being on the run after, you know, afterwards from traitors and the government, uh, that view of being alive really stuck in of like, it's to survive, right? That's what she always saw it as. Mm-hmm. But we see at the very end of the sequence where Saul, again, he survived a cannon shot to the face. He's being a uh, captive and put down by Kuzon at this point because those crazy ice powers, right? Right. But while he's freezing, while he's basically... By the way, I know it's a little off tone here, but I think Saul has a chance of being alive only because the move that he, uh, the Admiral used was called Time Capsule. And I'm just thinking, so is Saul alive? Who knows? But so I'm going to I'm going to keep that on the side for now. I yeah. just noticed the move was called Time Capsule. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But while That's he's fair. freezing. Yeah. So while he's freezing, uh, he's also telling Robin to go out there and be free you will eventually find friends one day who will understand you and protect you so please survive take the raft and go and even to the point where kuzon we get this this is how robin knew kuzon um uh in that uh, at the end of baby fightback arc because he actually lets her go because he's starting to question his orders a little bit not to the extent of solve desertion but enough to break orders and go this time i'm gonna let you go but if i see you again you will be a criminal and i will capture you okay mm-hmm. so we get that little interesting tidbit there with kuzon but then we see as she eventually escapes ohara we see a little sequence montage of her growing throughout the 20 years and to relay what i meant by those betraying her it's anytime she houses with someone for odd jobs or just to survive, they seem friendly at first. And then the next day they report her to the government because she's wanted at this point. They know what her face looks like. They know she got away. She's the lone survivor of the incident of the massacre. I should say, by the way, <laughs> I think I called this last arc too. When I said that, Oh, they call it the incident of O'Hara. Or the uh, O'Hara incident? I'm like, that's no way it's an incident, is it? And it's like, no, it's not. It's a fucking massacre. It's a genocide. Yeah, right. It's not actually so, an incident. Yeah. <laughs> but props right. to the props to the manga for like the for using the word language of that because even I'm saying incident on accident right now, and it's like, oh, <laughs> the mm-hmm. censorship's working. <laughs> the erasing is working. <laughs> even I'm saying it. Even though I just saw it. So, um, anyway, sorry about that. But he, she's. Uh, we see again a final montage of her going through. Like, person to person where, oh, here's a friendly old grandmother. Oh, but she needs the money. She's turning Robin in. Oh, here's a person who said, oh, it's risky to have this person with us, even though she can do the job. Let's just be safe and turn her in. 
here's a pirate that's like, oh, you're a criminal, but you know what? We could use you. And then immediately going, oh, my God, the government's hunting us down nonstop. Just throw her to the throw her to the dogs. Maybe they'll buy us some time. And every time she barely escapes every single time to the point where eventually we see her talking to Crocodile. At the very end. And what I saw, especially with this line of dialogue, because I think at the at this point, she uh, is on the accusation side because we're back in the modern day now. She accuses the Straw Hats of eventually betraying her in the future, but not because of this is why I originally was unsure of Robin's character. I always thought thought that she was the super pessimist where she always saw the evils of man. Right. That right. kind of character trope. But when she says, because I love you guys, I'm preventing you from doing this. So immediately it occurs to me, oh, so that means she never saw people as these harsh, evil people, maybe the government, but not these people who betrayed her. But it's because of the uh, because of the, the darkness, right? The, the curse that follows her that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's such a burden that it's just safer to turn her in. It's not because they're wrathful or greedy, even though they're some of them are pirates, like Crocodile, but it's be like the innocents, like the grandmother, right? Or the people who uh, let her stay at the hotel for a day. It's because they're desperate or they're just trying to be safe looking out for themselves. She doesn't see the evils of the people. She's seeing it as the curse of herself. It's this burden she's putting on herself. And I noticed this and I wrote it down. It's this continuing overarching theme of these straw hats feeling each and every one of them have a burden that they're pulling on the crew. First, we heard from Nami and Alabasta, Usopp in the last arc, and now we're seeing from Robin in this case, because she uses the word, I don't want to be a burden on you guys. And I'm just thinking, motherfucker, I just noticed this is a real, real consistent overarching theme. And each and every straw hat at some point is going to feel that they're dragging the team down because they believe in the goal. They believe in the dream of Luffy fighting the One Piece, right? Mm-hmm. But in this case, it's not because they're too weak. That was the issue with Usopp and Nami, their fears, right? In this case, it's the curse, right? This evil that's following me around. Her understanding of the Buster Call 2 and this position she's now in. It's best for me to just die and go away. I love you guys. Please live your lives. And she accepts her path as the destiny, right? Please, the Straw yeah. has to leave. And to avoid another catastrophe. So at this point, I'm like, that is a goddamn heartbreaking flashback and explains so much of why she's just so cold and distant. Holy fucking shit. What a great backstory. But we are not done yet. The flashback is done. Do you think she had the, the like best quote unquote flashback of the Straw Hats? Uh, I hate to say it, but yes, because that's including Nami's flashback, and that was originally my yeah, favorite. That's why I had to mm-hmm. wonder. Yeah, it hit uh, me personally too. Again, on more personal levels, because again, I'm an amateur historian, got an uh, associate's degree, and all that. So when this story is going on, I'm witnessing these scholars lose their lives because they they're trying their best to fight against the erasure of history. Not even like to protect the Poneglyph exactly. It's all the books that are in there. And witnessing the genocide happening first place, I'm just like, this happens so many times, more times than we think throughout history. But because of the erasure of information, we will never know exactly how many. So it was just tragic seeing it. And now we have a straw hat 
directly associated with this backstory. However, with every tragic backstory always comes an amazing recovery moment that I fucking love so much where the straw hats are there. They, they I'm assuming that she explained the story right in the, in their version because we witnessed the whole backstory, but they now know. Even if they don't, I don't Luffy think they do. Just, he doesn't give. They don't give a crap. Yeah, exactly. At this point, yeah, exactly. Because in Arlong Park, Luffy didn't know, but he still acted the way he did. And in this case, he's doing the same old thing, but now all the Straw Hats are involved in one way. More so, specifically, is Sniper King and Luffy, where he goes, Sniper King, uh huh. After oh, by the way, this is after Spandam is it like. Lead the build you motherfucker. Up, yeah. yeah the, the, sorry, let me do the proper build up. Spandam, fucking Joffrey over here, is going, You see that flag? It stands for the might of the world against you guys. You do anything to counteract us or to deny us our sense of justice, and that's going to be a recurring theme in this arc. The government's view of justice means putting a target on your back and meaning to die. And Livy just goes, Uh huh. Sure. Sniper King. Yeah. Shoot that flag. And he just goes, Roger. No hesitation. Nothing. He gets out the the Kabuto, uh, improved slingshot, as if he got notes from Usopp. Who knows? But he gets the Firestar loaded, precise shot at the flag on top of the building, and it's it burns. Everyone sees it. The Marines cp9 i love everyone sees it stupid face after that oh yeah that stupid face that's the one good thing it's like the shocked enderu face kind of you know yeah but not quite as funny because you hate the guy more but you love seeing it because you're just like i just want this guy in pain please i don't wish pain very often but i wish on this guy but as the title of the last chapter suggests this is an open declaration of war this is not just pirates raiding this is not just us stealing loot and running away. The Straw Hats confidently, 100% with their yeah, guts, I love declare that. war. And this is also by the person who did the shot himself, Sniper King. Last I recall, if something tells me that this character would be a bit more cautious. I don't know about you, Justin, <laughs> but he did that with no hesitation at all. And I'm fucking proud of that motherfucker. <laughs> Yeah, Soga King is is clearly the role model by which Usopp has always been aspiring to be. Yeah, exactly. That must be why he also uses a slingshot. Yeah, I can't wait for the two to meet. But the way I also saw this and the way I loved it is the Straw Hats at this point are intentionally cornering themselves. They're putting themselves, they're back against the walls, right? Against the entire world. It's But they're doing this it's to acknowledge that it's the same enemy Robin saw as the curse, right? It's not just everyone betraying her. It's because of this government, right? This is why I always thought that maybe if they did hear the flashback, this part is stronger in this sense because, Oh, these guys are the real issue. So we're going to put ourselves our backs against the wall. We understand that you think you're a burden, but we made this choice. We're not doing it because we're trying to turn you in. Obviously, we can't do that right now because you're in irons and you're with CP9 right now. So you don't have to worry about that. All the fear and darkness you've experienced in the last 28 years, that's not there. This is purely from the love 
that rivals what her mother and Saul pleaded her to find. Yeah, right? true, real friends. Yes, real. This is like familial bonds, if anything, at this point. Again, yeah. I'm on this emotional ride right now. <laughs> yeah, the, the Straw Hats, they're, they're, I mean, generally considered by, I think, all of us, like, as fans and as, like, a family, but... Mm -hmm. the, 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 definitely more than any other arc, even more than Arlong Park, this was the strongest right here. As Luffy finally says, I still haven't heard it from your lips, Robin. Say that you want to uh, live. Mm-hmm. And we get it. this beautiful one-page series of flashbacks of going back, right? From, starting from the worst, right? Because it starts off again saying, you existing is a sin. All this betrayal and disgust, right? But then it goes to the modern day. Then it goes to Saul. And she's breaking down as she's, she heard the word live, right? Because her mother said this. She remembers again the words of Saul. The sea is vast. Someday for sure, you'll find friends who will protect you. And then finally, the last word Sniper King said when they were on the train, have faith in Luffy. So after being on that survival path, the lonesome road, if you would, right? Being depressed, cold, distant for 26 plus years of her life, right? Robin, uh, well, she's 28, but she's officially got one when she was two, two years. She, well, was a, she could... became an archaeologist at Okay, if we're, if we're arguing real things. Okay, so she was two <laughs> 20 years old when years. her mother left the first time. She was two years old when her mother left the first time. So I said 26 years, because I think it started right at that point. But the true, true. darkness, you could say, was 20 yeah, years, because yeah. that was after the bus recall. That, that's a fair. But, that is still crappy situation mm -hmm. she was in so regardless <laughs> regardless after the majority of her life she can finally take what i would perceive would be a fair perceptive is the biggest risk of her life because she's always been on that survival path right do what you can to live and she finally gets to make the little wish she's wanted her whole life as she's finally completely breaking down I want to live. Take me to the sea with you. In fucking credible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's pretty much where we cut off. Right? Uh, it ends right well, there after that flashback. We get to see the drawbridge lower on schedule. The uh, the Frankie's family and the guy law, they get there in time. Everything, the momentum is constantly shifting, right? We get that moment and then the action starts to rev up, right? It was, that was basically our downturn. And then now you're just, you're witnessing, I guess, metaphorically, you're witnessing the engine rev up faster and faster as the right. drawbridge is lowering. Snapper King going, I'm fucking excited. Zoro getting bloodthirsty going, come on, go faster. Come on, bridge, yeah. come on, go faster. <laughs> Scaring the living shit out of Nami. Going, well, yeah, wasn't it Nami? Right like, that's a scary face. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Nami was going, that's yeah. a scary face you're doing. But yeah, even I was loving that too. Zoro's like, dude, you look, you look blood drunk right now, man. <laughs> but Zoro ain't everyone, playing around when he gets in there either. That yeah, was... to, to reaffirm, yeah, that everyone, including Zoro, who is always uh, cautious of Robin, and Sniper King, who I felt would be, like I said, cautious like Usopp for some reason. I don't know. They're both going, I'm excited. Let's fucking go. And the last panel of 
this last chapter of 398, Luffy, with his determined face, as always, let's go. Let's yeah. roll. Let's rock. Well, let's go, baby. It's on. So, yeah, Only very good build half. up. Only yep. one half of this arc, and immediately I'm just like, wow, we still got 32 chapters to go, and I'm already going, this topped Arlong Park. And I fucking hate admitting it because I was obviously a simp fan of uh, Nami fanboy for the longest time, but I have to admit, this is just so good. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So it hit all the right pieces for me reading this. Yeah, I, oh uh, my god! It's just the whole the Water Seven saga, if you will, like Le- Water Seven leading up into this is just it is such a phenomenal stretch of One Piece and of Absolutely. fiction of and manga mm-hmm. in general. Boy, do I feel silly thinking that Water 7 was going to be like Last Jedi and Eni's Lobby being like Rise of Skywalker. Boy, do I feel fucking silly now. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, that was my that was my fear. But obviously I had high expectations for this arc. But this is one half. And this alone, if you told me that if this was just the end of the arc right here, I still would have been like, this is the best arc in One Piece. This wow, just, just the Robin flashback. Just and this alone. Because... <laughs> What itches me better in fiction, as we all know, for fellow faithful listeners, is character development. Character development is the one thing that gives me the most happiness when I get it done right. And unfortunately, this case was very tragic and sad. But at the same time, from a fourth wall perspective, I'm just like, thank you for giving this character who's had like no real backstory and all this mystery and intrigue for so many chapters and arcs. I feel like over 100 chapters. And finally within a, like less than 10 chapters, just turning this character around for me and just going now, I really fucking hope the straw hat save that fellow straw hat. Cause Holy fucking shit. <laughs> we got a character. Yeah. It, her flashback did a very good job of, of explaining and kind of retroactively making you understand her. Not to mention putting in, uh, in under the magnifying glass, the evils of the world government. Of truly how fucked up they are. Yeah, um, what's our timestamp? Uh, we're at an hour right now. Okay. I was gonna ask, as far as world-building stuff, was there anything else, like, that you wanted to mention here in any lobby or flashback? Uh, I think we, we briefly mentioned it, but I would say world-building-wise, in terms of Eni's lobby itself, it is a very convenient, wonderful place to have a prison. Because, obviously, having an island prison is not good enough. Because right. the entire world is mostly water in an age of piracy. But in this case, it's within the Grand Line. And even if you do, you have to get through the iron fence we've constructed or whatever fence it's made out of. And then on top of that, there is in a pit, there's a pit that separates the actual underwater prison that's beyond those two doors. There's like an endless right. pit that looks like Maiden Abyss takes place down there. The other anime manga I recommend people watch, not read, I recommend watch that one. But it just goes infinitely into the abyss, probably where Cthulhu lives, by the way. Sorry, I had to bring it up. Sorry, one more time. And who knows, right? So I'm like, okay, that's a great place for a prison, absolutely. Um, the actual town, though, or the buildings before that were kind of bland, though, unfortunately. Probably because the siege was going on, so I couldn't really notice right. anything. But I they just it kind of looks town. like a, I think it's just like a barracks. Kind of, yeah. I assume. Probably it's, probably it's boring, yeah. 
it didn't really add anything but again i didn't really i wasn't paying attention to the environment at that point because there was a big siege and a lot of action going on mm-hmm. so but either way nothing caught my eye except for the big the, the big two doors that i thought at first were just clouds and i go wait that's a door <laughs> So that definitely struck at me. And then obviously the main courthouse and the main building, obviously, where mm-hmm. uh, CP9 is currently right now. Oh, I will say also one of the uh, I think it was after 398 where it had like the double panel afterwards where it shows on one side the straw hats and the other side CP9. Like it's very obvious that yeah. these are going to be the combatants for the next half of the arc. So here's your stand up. Oh, also Lucci being bloodthirsty too. When the drawbridge was lowering, even he was getting excited, going, "Yeah, <laughs> that motherfucker lost the fight." <sighs> yeah, such a good start. So there's no, there's no way for it to be sad again. There's no way. <laughs> right. I no guess way. we'll have to keep on reading to read and on find and out. find out, <laughs> which we will do next week when we conclude the Andy's Lobby's arc, which Ooh. will be. From chapters 398 up to chapters 430. We'll include 398 again because the chapter is so fucking good. (laughs) Yeah, just reread it it one more time and it'll be fine. It's it's actually funny, too, thinking back on it because I said Eni's Lobby is my favorite arc. I think I can say without a doubt 398 is one of my favorite chapters in anything. Just all the buildup that led to that point and that declaration of war the Straw Hats made all for... To rescuing a it's awesome. friend. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. And there's no real action. It's just build up, but release, emotional release, all of that one moment. Yeah. So even just like uh if you consider that scene with while excluding the flashback right before mm-hmm. that, and you were talking about how Spandom is such a, an enormous bitch. Oh, after Luffy has beaten Bluno like on the roof, he just kind of screams, you know, like that pump himself up, like yeah, yeah! and Spandam kind of just like falls like in the building, like oh, what the heck's that? Just, I like <laughs> that. Right. Just the difference between them, you know, like like Luffy's like I'm here to to fuck shit up, and Spandam's just not ready for it at all. We need we need another word to describe Spandam. Even the c word doesn't feel good enough to describe this guy. Oh god, we need to think of something worse. Yeah, something more uh, he is really awful. Because even when you called him a little bitch, I felt like that's not enough. You're you're understating it. <laughs> something. Sorry, we'll think of that off air, maybe. Off air. We'll think. Of, we'll think of something. But yeah, <laughs> I was just gonna say, like the whole scene is a, like with that leading into the flag, him having Sugar King shoot it and everything. I want to live from Robin. It's all just. It's great. Mm-hmm. It's very individual very, character. A very very from... good sequence. Yeah, individual sniper, uh, sniper king moment as well. Luffy again showing off that he why he's cons- consistently always everyone's favorite top three characters, even though he's just super stubborn. That would be yeah. His I mean, character. also but that that Kabuto, <laughs> the Kabuto we didn't even really mention. It's like the new we'll, slingshot. We'll, we'll is talk awesome. about it more next yeah. part. We'll talk about that more in the next part. I think. Yeah, we got but, time. Yeah. yeah, that's the action stuff mainly. It's all mm. the fights and the fun stuff. So that's going to be our next week. I will say one more time, it's starting 399 to 430. We're going to be finishing up Andy's Lobby next Tuesday right here. Mm. I guess we're done. I guess we are. Wait. Oh? They wanted to interact with either of us <laughs> in any way on social media, such as Twitter or Instagram. Where can they find you, Jacob? They can find me at Jacob Miranda, where I'm doing my best not to be accidentally spoiled by one of my favorite Twitch uh, Twitter channels, 
random sakuga i'm doing my best not to be spoiled <laughs> but it turns out uh two weeks ago i accidentally saw an animated sequence of the bluno fight i was gonna say i forgot to mention that that is the thing you saw was the gear second the, luffy fighting yeah. bluno but i remember telling you because i didn't recognize bluno right away because i just forgot what he looked like and on top of that i didn't it didn't occur to me that luffy being on smoke like that or glowing pink or whatever I didn't, it didn't occur to me that was a power-up. I thought he was just recently <laughs> out of a fire or something. Right. And he was just fuming angry or something. I wasn't thinking too much about it because I had no context. Well, I'm glad you that didn't <laughs> spoil or ruin anything for you, which is good. No. Yeah. Yeah. So much fun. But yeah, at Jacob Miranda on Twitter. And as for me, at Jitsu, J-I-T-S-Z-U on Twitter is the best place, or YouTube. Thank you guys for tuning in. See you next week. Bye-bye. God, fuck Spandom. Mm-hmm.